All right, we'll say good morning, good morning. Let us, let us begin. I'm going to get a cheat a little bit on the, just two minutes. This is where you get in the sponsorships and we can start this year. Tafkat 540. So we'll say good morning and a good chodesh to everyone. I want to begin by thanking all of our sponsors, our new Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Cheshvan. To thank Yanki and Elisa Statman, Yitzi and Rebecca Statman for dedicating the Shurim this month, the commemoration of the first yard site of their sister. Menucha Shendel Yehudis Zichron Levracha Bas David Yosef. To thank Shmuel and Rabin Karapkin for dedicating the Shurim this month in commemoration of the 25th yard site of Rabin's mother, Melanie Solomon, Pesa Mira Bas Chaim Zichron Levracha. To thank our week of learning sponsors, Avram, uh, Avi Zeisman, in commemoration of the yard site of his grandfather, Avram Ben Aaron, Tzvi and Shendi Shir, in honor of the entire Kihila, Shmuel and Shira Pepper, in honor of Ari Lerner. To thank our day of learning sponsors, the Park Towers East family, Le'ilui Nishmas Sarlea Bas Chaim Zusha. May her memory be a blessing for Klav Yisrael and may Hashem grant the family comforts. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, all of the Nishamas will have an aliyah, the families ain't nechama. The families in Hamar. I will say with that, let us begin. Baruch Hashem, a lot to do today. Not a lot of time and a lot of Gemara in Meretz Hashem. So I will say today's daf is Kofiud Beis, the last daf of Masechus Suvas Habalim Latova. We are picking up in Meretz Hashem on Kofiud Aleph Amud Beis 111b. And we are picking up in Meretz Hashem at Amar Le Rebbe. Okay, so it's really a lot to do today. In the intermediate, in the intermediate wide lines, it is two, four, six, seven lines down. So, Kevin Dechazi de Mistar. So, remember again, just reorient us also just a moment. Rabbi Lazar made a statement that, that Ami Haratzos, ignorant Jews, are not resurrected during Trias Amesim. This statement bothered Rabbi Yochanan very much. So, therefore, again, Amrali Rebbe Matsasila and Takona Minatora. So, Rabbi Lazar says, the truth is, Rebbe, I found a remedy for the Amea Aretz. What's the remedy for the Amea Aretz? The Pasuk says, You, the ones who are clinging to our Kaddish Baruch Hu, Chaim Kulchem Hayom. You are all living today. Is it possible for a person to cling to the Shechina? I was about to say, the Pasuk itself is difficult to understand. The Pasuk says, Hashem is an all-consuming fire. So how can you cling to something which is an all-consuming fire? Elo, kol Mosh and I were just talking about this, literally this concept yesterday after davening. Rather, the Gemara says that a person who goes there, thank you, a person who goes in and marries off his daughter to a Talmud Chacham, or does business with a Talmud Chacham. In other words, he allows the Talmud Chacham to financially benefit from him. Ultimately, or a person who allows the Talmud Chacham to benefit from his property. Such a person is counted as if he goes ahead and is connecting, literally is clinging to the Shechino. Similarly, the Pazik says, To love Hashem, to love Hashem your God, and to go ahead and, and to go ahead and cling to Him. Such a beautiful, beautiful Gemara. Is it possible for a person to cling to the Shechina? Is that possible? If a person marries off his daughter to a Talmud Chacham, or or a person does business with a Talmud Chacham, and I will say, doing business with a Talmud Chacham doesn't literally mean that, in other words, it's taking, Rashi points out, it's taking the Talmud Chacham's money, investing it, and doing business for him. In other words, allowing him to make money with his money without him having to be involved in business. Or a person who goes ahead and literally shares his wealth with the Tamtracham. Such a person is looked at as if they are literally connecting, clinging to the Shekhinah. So we'll say the idea over here that Rabbalah is bringing down is the notion, If you cling to Hashem, you will have life. Which means that, even if someone is ignorant, even if someone is ignorant, but ultimately they have this connection with Torah. How do they have the connection with Torah? Marrying off their daughter to a Talmud Chacham, sharing their wealth with a Talmud Chacham, helping the Talmud Chacham, again, with his own finances. Such a person like that is considered to be connecting to the Shekhinah, connected to the Shekhinah, and therefore, again, will be able to partake in resurrection as well. Incredible. 
Let's say it's such a beautiful imagery. The Gemara says in the future, in Mimosa Mashiach, when there's Trias Amesim, the Tzadikim are going to sprout up from the earth in Yerushalayim. Shnei Amar ve'atitzum e'er ke'isev ha'aretz ve'ein ir elu Yerushalayim shnei Amar ve'ganosi ala irazos. So we'll say the imagery of Trias Amesim of the Tzadikim popping up like blades of grass right in Yerushalayim. I'm Rabbi Chibar Yosef. Asidim Tzadikim shiyandu mabushayim. The tzaddikim ultimately, when they are resurrected, will be resurrected in their clothing. So the Gemara says, "Kavachomer chita." It's a kavachomer from wheat. Machita shenik bara aruma yotze b'meilavushin. Achita, which is literally buried naked. The idea is when you put the grain, when you put the kernel of grain in the ground, there's nothing on it, and yet it comes out, and there are all these husks and different things on it. So it, go, it goes in unclothed, comes out clothed, so to speak. Tzaddikim shenik alachas kama v'kama. Tzaddikim who are buried in their clothing certainly will come out of the grave clothed as well. So we'll say, so again, like I keep saying in all these Gemaras, there's so much to say on each of these pieces. The, the idea that the tzaddik goes to the grave clothed, of course, could literally mean tzaddik is wearing tahrik and wearing shrouds, but also clothed with mitzvot, right? The greatest clothing a person could acquire during, the life, during their lifetime is not anything that's a material brand name. The greatest clothing one acquires during their lifetime, ultimately, again, as their Torah, their mitzvot, their chasadim, the, the tzaddik goes into the grave clothed, and in resurrection, he's resurrected with that same clothing of the mice and tobim, of the accomplishments of this world as well. Incredible. Varun Bechia Bar Yosef. Eretz Yisrael, so beautiful. Shetotzi glusko seklinivas. We'll say in the Messianic era, Eretz Yisrael is going to, is going to experience such, such, a, such bounty that literally the land is going to produce fully formed loaves of bread and fully formed linen garments. incredible. In the Messianic era, the wheat is going to be so, so, so plentiful that literally a wheat, a wheat stalk is going to grow as high as a palm tree. Going to grow as high as a palm tree and sometimes even higher than mountains. Incredible. You'll say that's very nice, but who's harvesting that? Who's harvesting that? Right? In other words, it's fantastic to have wheat that grows so high, but who's going to harvest it? Tamad Lomar, both say first of the widest lines. Yirash Kalavanon Pirio. Hakadish Baruch Hu, maybe Ruach, maybe Eskinozov, Omenashba Alel, Omashra Esalsa. So let's listen to this. Hashem will bring a wind. The wind will cause the wheat to bend over, right? And not only that, but when the wheat, when the stalk is shaken, fine flour will come out from the wheat. The Adam Yotze Lesad, a person will go out to the field, or maybe Male Pisas Yado, and a person will bring a handful of flour back to his family, or Mimena Parnasaso Parnasas Ancheveso. And from that one handful of flour, he will be able to support his entire mishpacha. They will say, I'll just point out, it's interesting to note, you find this, by the way, even in, in Parshas Bichol Kosai as well, this notion, this notion that when the Torah speaks about being blessed with plenty, yet at the same time it speaks about being satisfied with a little. So if you notice again, you have a wheat stalk that is as tall as a palm tree. It's a pretty tall, tall wheat stalk, right? Wind blows, it blows out a handful of fine flour. And with one handful of fine flour, suddenly everyone is satisfied. Well, if you have such a big wheat stalk, you have so much fine flour, why am I satisfied with so little? Because they will say, isn't that the ultimate goal in life? It's wonderful to have a lot, because having a lot gives you a sense of security. But ultimately, again, it should never take a lot to make a person satisfied. A person should find satiety. A person should find satisfaction even in just a little. It's this beautiful dichotomy of bracha in the Messianic era. So Amru Asida Tchita Shatei Kishtei Klayo Shoshar. But in the Messianic era, a kernel of wheat will be like the two kidneys of a, of a large ox. So I'll say, you'll say to yourself, come on, that's crazy. There's no such thing as produce growing that big. Sigmar says, it's not true. You can find some examples of some pretty big produce even now. Bialtetama, Shereshua Kinan Balaves. So I'll say there was a story. This is, this is now in this world. There was a story of a, of a fox that made its home inside of a turnip. And they found that the turnip weighed 60 litrin. Big turnip. Big turnip. So the point the Gemara is making over here is you can have some frame of reference for the bounty of the Messianic era as well. So the Gemara is giving some other examples 
of just magnificent bounty, even now, in this world, in the pre-Messianic era, to give you a window as to what is possible in the future. So there's a story in Shechem that there was once a guy whose father left him three stalks of a mustard plant. One of them broke. And they found inside of one stalk nine kav of mustard seed. It's a lot of mustard seed. Furthermore, and there was enough from the broken branch to go ahead and serve as the roof of a hut. So we'll say another example of this. Rabbi Shimon Chachliva said, Our father left us a stalk of cabbage. The stalk was so big that we had to use a ladder to get to the top of it. So we'll say, so again, these are just examples of, of incredible bounty, produce bounty now. What is going to happen in the Messianic era? So v'dam anavim amar. They both say the Messianic era, that's what it means in Olam Haba in this context. The Messianic era is not like this world. How so? They both say this is so beautiful. They both say, you know, in this world, in this world, you have to work a lot, right? In, in order, if, if you want produce, if you want anything, you have to work a lot. You have to go ahead. There's tsar. There's effort involved in harvesting. There's effort involved in pressing the grapes. So Olam Haba, in the Messianic era, listen to this. Maybe anova achas. So we'll say a person's going to bring one grape, the karon or besina, in a wagon or a boat. Umanicha bezavas beso. We'll say here's what's going to happen in the messianic era. You're going to get one big grape, one big zafti grape, and you're going to put that right in the corner of your house. And what are you going to do with it? Umas bekeimena kifatus gadol, and a boss you'll be able to take from it like a large keg. The of masik and tachas hatavshil. From the stalk of the grape, you'll have enough wood to fire up your oven. And I will say, in, in, every, single, in every single grape, there'll be at least three, 30 barrels of wine. Three garvels of yayin. I will say, chomer, as she points out, is a measurement, is a core that is 30 sitin. So we'll say, what's the meaning of the Pasuk? Now this Pasuk, the truth is, is in Parshas Vayechi. And this actually is part of Yaakov Avinu's bracha to Yehuda. So what does it mean, Osri legefen ero? Ein lechol kol gefen vegefen sheva eretz Yisrael she'in tzorakeh. And I will say, now I want to just point out something very interesting. It is interesting that the Gemara is darshaning the brachos of Yaakov to Yehuda as referring to the Messianic era. Now the truth is, the reason for that is, where does the Gemara come up with the idea of Messianic era? I'll tell you why. The bracha of, of, of Yaakov to Yehuda was... Um, the, the Pasuk is, Lo yasr shevet mi Yehuda mechokek mi bein raglov, right, the scepter of rulership, the scepter of rulership will not leave Yehuda, ad ki yavo Shiloh, velo yikasamim, until Shiloh comes, and to Shiloh all the nations will be subservient. Many of the Mepharshim understand that Shiloh is a reference to Mashiach. It's the one Pasuk, one of the, one of the only Pasuk in the Torah that makes any reference to the concept of Messianic redemption. So if you understand the Pasuk of Shiloh referring to Mashiach, then the rest of the Bracha of Yehuda can also refer to Mashiach as well. So what does it mean when it says, Osu the Gefen Iro, Eim l'chol kol Gefen b'gebe shavarit Yisrael, Shein Tzarech Ira Achas Livtzar. They both say the vines of Yisrael will be so plentiful that every single vine in Yisrael will need an entire city to harvest it. Olu Soreka b'niyasono, Eim l'chol kol Ilan Srak shavarit Yisrael, Shein amotzi masu shtei asonos. Every single tree, now both say that Ilan Srak, Ilan Srak is a tree that doesn't produce fruit. In the Messianic era, even the non-fruit trees will produce fruit. And they'll produce so much fruit that each of them are going to require two donkeys to carry the load. Maybe you'll say, fine, there'll be a lot of grapes, but the grapes won't produce wine. Maybe you'll say, aye, it's not going to be red wine. Both in the eyes of Chazal, red wine obviously again had a higher level of importance. Maybe you'll say, fine, it'll be red, it'll be wine, but it won't intoxicate. Maybe you'll say it doesn't have the right taste. Every palate that tastes this wine, Omer, Lili, will give me more, will, tell, will say more and more. 
Maybe we'll say this one of the Messianic era, which is so, so bountiful. It'll be good for young people. We'll say, because you know how young people are. They'll drink anything, right? But maybe for the more refined palate, again, they're not going to find any benefits. Right? Even the Ben Shanim, those who are older and mature with more refined palates, will enjoy this bountiful wine. So again, and I apologize for the speed we're going through all of this, and I would urge you, these are the Gemaras that you have to also go over on your own because there is so much here. So the Gemara says, this is, this is incredible, I will say. Pashtay Dikrav Maikseev. So what the, what's the Pashib shot in the Pasik? I just want to point out, the Pashib shot in the Pasik, just point out, is... Uh, let me just find it here. The Pashib shot in the Pasik, Osri the Gef in a row, means he will tie his donkey, he will tie his donkey to the vine, or the Soreka Bani and again, the son of his donkey, the foal, ultimately, again, to the Soreka. Soreka could also mean vine, or could also mean a tree. Ki Beis Bayan Levusho, he'll launder his clothing in wine, and literally, again, he'll immerse himself in the blood of grapes. The idea of us, like, the Pashup Shat in the Pasuk is, Yehuda will be blessed with bounty. That's the idea. Now, I will say specifically, and this is incredible, Yehuda is going to be wine country. Wine country, which I will say, I think one of the most amazing things that you see in modern Israel, you see in modern Israel, is the number of boutique wineries that are in Yehuda and Shomron. It's absolutely incredible to see. Award-winning wines that, were, that are being produced in places that literally, again, were deserts. Were deserts. Just until the cup. That's the bracha of Yehuda. So that's the posh, that was like, that's the Pashab Shat. And the Gemara says, okay, come on, but what's the real Pashab Shat? So we'll say, this is so incredibly beautiful. The Gemara says, here's the Pashab Shat. So, Ki Ravdini Amr, Ravdini said, Hint to me with your eyes that I am sweeter to you, more fragrant to you than wine. So I will say, what does this mean? I just spend 30 seconds on this. I will say, what does a Jew want more than anything? What does any child want more than anything? I want to know that my parent is proud of me. And I want to know that my parent loves me. And I both say it's even deeper. I want to know that my parent's proud of me, even though I know I don't measure up to expectations. See, I both say often, children don't measure up to parental expectations. Now, many times that's because parental expectations may, may be incorrect. But when I say, and often a child knows, a child knows, I'm not measuring up to my parent's expectations. But what does a child want more than anything? I want to know that you love me and that you care about me, and that you're proud of me, even if I'm not doing exactly what you want and how you want me to do it. And I will say, what does Kali Yisrael say to Hashem? Ramos be'inecha, debasimichamra. Tell me, Hashem, tell me, tell me, wink to me with your eyes, so to speak, that I'm as fragrant to you as wine. And what? The Gemara says, I'm sorry. And ultimately, again, show me with your teeth. Show me with your teeth means smile at me. Smile at me. And ultimately, again, show me that, 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 I'm, as, that I'm as sweet to you as milk. Uh, Rashi says over here, So we'll say the Gemara is the Pasuk over here. So it's darshaning it. Um, sorry, I keep losing the Pasuk. Good. So darshaning the Pasuk, ultimately, again, to Hashem, show me, right? Wink to me with your eyes that I'm as fragrant to you as wine. Smile to me. Show me the white of your teeth. And ultimately, again, show me, right? smile at me, and show me that, you're, that I'm sweeter to you than milk. It's so beautiful. We say, we'll say, it is better to literally, again, show your teeth. means to show the white of your teeth, to smile. Better to smile at someone than to give them milk. It's such a beautiful idea. What does the Yid want more than anything from Hashem? Hashem, just show me you're proud of me. Just tell me you're proud of me. I know that I mess up. I know that I do things wrong. I know that I don't live up to the expectations. And I know that I'm not living the life I could be living. But despite all of that, Hashem, can you just show me in some way that you're proud of me? That's all 
I want such an incredible, incredible idea. So the goes like, Rebbe Chibar Ada, great story. Rebbe Chibar Ada, Mikri Dardiki Dirish Lagishala. Rebbe Chibar Ada was the Rebbe. He taught the children of Reish Lakish. Watch this. Ifkar Klasi Yomi Bala He was out, he was out the Cheder, he didn't show up to work for three days. Kiyasa, when he came back, Rebbe Chibar Ada came back. Amalei, Amai Ifkars. He said to Reish Lakish, where were you? Where were you for three days? You were absent from the Cheder. What, what happened over here? You happened from the school. So listen to this. So, so Rabbi Rabbi said, You know, my father left me one vine. He left me one vine in my Yerusha. And what happened? It was harvest season for the vine. So I had to take off from work in order to harvest the vine. But listen to the bounty. And I had three days of harvest. Every, on the first day, 300 clusters of grapes. We'll say from one vine. 300 clusters of grapes. Eshkol Ligrav. And I will say, every single cluster made one sa'ah of wine. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yom Sheni, second day. Batsarti Gimomeos Eshkolos. I will say, I've harvested another 300 clusters of wine. Shte Eshkolos Ligrav. And from that, from that, on day number two, two clusters per sa'ah of, of wine. Yom Shlishi, Batsarti Gimomeos Eshkolos. Third day, I harvested another 300 clusters. Shalosh Eshkolos Ligrav. Ultimately, again, three clusters per saw of wine. And I must know that. By the way, so I collected 900, 900 clusters. I had to leave more than half of that in the field. In other words, there was more than, still more than half, half of the full bounty left. I made it hefker. Amalei, supposed to listen to this. Incredible, incredible. Rish Lakish, so Rav Chibar says, that's why I missed work. I had to harvest the vine for three days. Rish Lakish says back to, Rish Lakish says back to Rav Chibar, something amazing. Ilav, Tifkart, had you not missed work, right? Had you not missed work, had you come to go ahead and teach the children, your vine would have given even more. Your vine would have given more. If you look at the vine, what ended up happening was, first day, 300 clusters, each cluster produced a sa'ah. Second day, 300 clusters, two clusters per sa'ah. Third day, 300 clusters, three clusters per sa'ah. Rish Lakish says, you have a spiritual task. Your spiritual task is to educate children. It's to educate children. Hire someone to go ahead and harvest the vine. Had you hired someone, the vine would have had the same output each of the days. But because you neglected your spiritual responsibilities, there was a diminution in the output of the vine from day to day. And I will say, what a profound Gemara. No material blessing ever comes from neglecting one's spiritual obligations. See, I will say, sometimes we think, oh, okay, I'm, I'm going to cut a corner over here. I'm going to cut a corner on this spiritual thing. I'm going to cut a corner on this spiritual thing. I'll run from this, run to that. Uh, I'll do... And, and, and somehow, somehow, like by cutting something spiritual short, somehow I think that I'm gaining in some other area of life. And the Gemara says, it's fundamentally untrue. If I cut corners in Ruchnius, I never get ahead. I never get ahead. And even if it looks like I get ahead, in the grand scheme of things, I'm causing myself to lose out. It's beautiful. So again, Rish Lakish says to Rebchibar Abba, it's fantastic. But could you imagine had you shown up and done what you're supposed to do? Had you shown up and educated the children? Had you shown up? Say, it's not just it's not a din in Chinuch. It's not a din in education. We all have spiritual responsibilities. And too often the Sahara is cut a corner in Ruchnius so I could go ahead and take care of the rest of my things in life. It's tempting because Ruchnius is the one thing that you can cut corners on. But just know if I cut corners on my Ruchnius in whatever area that it is, I never come out ahead. Such an incredible Gemara. And when he was in Bnei Brak, what happened? He saw, this is incredible, he saw goats, he saw goats who were eating dates. Bnei Brak looks a little bit different these days than it, than it did uh, in Rabbi Cheskel's time. Right, so, so what happens, he's eating dates, he's eating dates, no, he's eating dates, the goat is eating dates, and there's honey coming out of the dates, and milk coming out of the udders of the goat. And all of this is mixing together. Amr, Amr, Hainu zavas chalav udivash. This is what it means when the Pasuk says that Eretz Yisrael is a land of milk and honey. From Lut to Ono, it's three mil. 
פעם אחז קדמתי בני השברון, פעם הגעת בפור סנרייז והלכתי והלכתי עד קרסוליי בדבש של תאינים. And I was walking and I was up to my ankles in the honey of dates. So we must remember again, the honey of Eretz Yisrael is not bee honey, right? The honey of Eretz Yisrael is date honey. So again, these are just examples of how the land is overflowing with bounty. I saw the Zavaz Chalav Udvash of Tzipor. In other words, I saw the milk and honey of Tzipori. And I saw an area of milk and honey that literally again was 16 mil by 16 mil. I saw the milk and honey of Eretz Yisrael. Top of Kofkid Beis Vahavi. And it was the distance from Mavi Mechsi, from Mavi Mechsi until Akra de Tulkabani. These are places. These are places. Rashi Singmara says, Chav Beis Parsa Urka Ufusya Shisa Parsi. It was a length of 22 parsos by a width of 6 parsos. So we'll say they're literally seeing the bounty of Eretz Yisrael. Top of Kof Yud Beis, second line there. Rabbi Chalbo, Rabbi Avira, Rabbi Yossi, Rachanino. Eklolahu Asra. So they went to a particular place. So Moses is They brought before them a peach. And they brought them a peach that was the size of a frying pan in, in, in the village of Hino. How large is that? Five saw. Moses say five saw peach. It's one big peach. One big peach. So Achlushlish, they able, was all of them together. They were able to eat a third of it. Viv Kiroshes, they made a third of it hefker. Vinoslef made a hamtoshes, then they had a third left over to feed their animals. Feed their animals. L'shana ikhla rebelazul hasam. Next year, Belazul went back to that same place. Vaisul akame. They brought him a peach again. Naktu biadei. They both say this peach. This time, the peach was so small that he held it in the palm of his hand. Va'amar eretz pri lemlecha miras yoshveba. So we'll say ultimately again. He said, quoting over here, quoting over here, the pasuk. From Tehillim, Eretz Pridim Lecha, Meretz Yosheva. Both says this, so that he saw the, the diminution in the size of the peach, ultimately again to be reflective of the fact that the inhabitants of the land were no longer fulfilling the word of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We're going to say, both say, Eretz Yisrael has this unique relationship with its inhabitants, that when we do what we're supposed to do, the land produces in incredible ways. And when we don't do what we're supposed to do, unfortunately, the land withholds its bounty. Rabbi Yosheva ben Levi, Iqlal Rabbi went to the city of Galva, Gavlo, sorry. He saw these kitufi, Rashi says, are clusters of grapes. He saw vines that had clusters of grapes, and the clusters were so big that they looked like calves. He said, there are calves in the vineyard. They said to him, we'll say first wide line, katufi, no, no, those aren't calves, those are clusters of grapes. So I'll say, now, the, the in-between of this story was, this was already at a point in time, where Klav Yisrael was no longer living in this region. So there were, there were foreign nations occupying this land. Amru, Eretz, Eretz, Hachnisi, Perosayich. Lemi'at motzia Perosayich. La'aravim halalu sha'amdu alinu bechat asinu. So what's his incredible word? Bishob and Levi, Bishob was upset. He said, land, land, why are you producing this bounty for those who have taken this land from us? For the Arabs, right, who are now occupying this land as a result of our sins? So he said, he said, I will say, Arabs could, is also could be a nondescript term for whoever that occupying nation was. The point was happening over here is Rabbi Shulman Levi is saying, land, why are you producing such beautiful bounty when it's not your children who are living upon the land? So what happens? The next year, Rabbi Chia went to this same city, to Gavla. What happens? He saw clusters that looked like goats. So again, it's still bountiful. Amr, izin beinagifanim. So once again, Rabbi Chia said it's to, the, to the inhabitants there, there are goats but between the clusters. Amr lei zil, lo ta'avil lan kichabrach. And I said to him, you know what, close your mouth, get out of here. Right? Don't do toss with your friend. Because we'll see, by the way, if you notice already, in year one, the clusters look like calves. In year two, they look like goats. Which means, again, they got smaller. So now they hear, they hear Rabbi Chia saying this, they're nervous that Rabbi Chia is going to pull the same shtick that Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi did, so they tell him to be quiet and leave. Incredible. Tan Rabbanon. Listen to this. In the brachas of Eretz Yisrael, in the brachas of Eretz Yisrael, Beis Sa'a Oseh Chameshes Rebo Kurin. Rebosah is incredible. When Eretz Yisrael, when the land produces at full capacity, one base Sa'a, one Sa'a of land, can produce 50,000 core of produce. One base saw, 
50,000 kor. Bishivas al-Shatzoan, when the city of Tzoan is inhabited by Jews, base saw osin shivin kurin. So one base saw could produce 70 kor. Desanya Remeir, so we'll say now, but we'll say, I remember again, Tzoan is outside of Eretz Yisrael. Tzoan is outside of Eretz Yisrael. So it's a contrast. When Eretz Yisrael is settled by the Jews, again, and when, when the Jews are doing what they're supposed to, because also remember again, the land, Eretz Yisrael, is the dynamic reactionary land. It, our behaviors, right, our spiritual state of being is reflected in the land itself, in the land itself. So therefore, when Klal Yisrael is doing what they're supposed to be doing, and the land is reacting a certain way, one base, Sa'an Eretz Yisrael, produces 50,000 core, contrast that with Tso'an. So on, which is a fertile land outside of Eretz Yisrael, where one base saw makes 70 cores. By the way, by the way, one saw of land making 70 cores is considered great. That's fantastic output. Watch this. I was one time in the valley of Beis Sha'an. Beis saw Osin Shivin Kurim. Ultimately, again, one saw of land that produced 70 cores of produce. In general, the most, most fertile land on the face of the earth is Egypt. That Mitzrayim was like literally the garden of Hashem. It was so fertile. In all of Mitzrayim, the most fertile region of Mitzrayim was called Tzoan. And again, this is why the kings actually chose to make the seat of their monarchy in Tzoan. The kings used to gather there. Now watch this. Now both say, the rockiest place in Eretz Yisrael, the rockiest place in Eretz Yisrael is Hebron. Now how do we know this? I will say, that's why Hebron was used as a cemetery. In other words, it's not a, it's not, it's not a coincidence that, I will say, in general, Whatever you use as a cemetery, you can't use for farming land. Right? So obviously, you're only going to use for a cemetery a place that you can't really farm. Hebron was considered to be very rocky terrain, and that's it. ultimately Maras Machpelah is there. So the Gemara says, Nevertheless, Hebron itself is at least seven times more fertile than Salon. Because also the Pasuk says, the Pasuk says that Hebron was now literally translated, it means Hebron was built seven years before Tsoan in Egypt. Then I will say, my Nivnesa. What does it mean it was built? So, if you want to say it means literally built, it doesn't make sense because why would a person remember again Tsoan? Hebron was built for, for the younger son, right? And Sawan was built for the older children. So Yimar says over here, yeah, so I um, just want to quote to you the Pasuk. The Pasuk. Vayalu banaga vayavu ar Hebron v'sham achiman sheshevet hama yedlidi anok v'chevron v'chevron sheva shanam nivnesa lifnei tzoan b'mitzrayim. So I'll say, so the idea over here, my nivnesa, so if it's good, Sigmar says, Shneemar u'bnei chom kush u'mitzrayim u'put u'kina'an. So I'll say, so interestingly enough, so Cham, who got Mitzrayim, was older ultimately again than Canaan, or Cush was older than Canaan, Mitzrayim was older than Canaan. So it makes sense to say that the lands of Canaan ultimately again were older than, were built before the land, sorry, the lands of Mitzrayim were built before Canaan. If the lands of Mitzrayim were built before Canaan, then why does it say that Hebron, which obviously is in Canaan, was built seven years before Tzalan Mitzrayim? It doesn't make sense. Ella, the Gemara says, you're right. Shemavuna Lachas Meshiva Betzalan. What it means is that Hebron, I say, was Mavuna. Mavuna means fertile. Hebron was seven times more fertile than Tzalan. Then I both say, how incredibly dramatic is that? Hebron, Hebron was seven times more fertile than Tzalan. Mitzrayim was the most fertile land. Tzalan was the most fertile crescent, right? The most fertile area of Mitzrayim. Hebron is the rockiest area in Eretz Yisrael. And yet Hebron was seven times more fertile than Tzalan. But betrash him. That is true. And I will say, so Hebron, which is a rocky area, is seven times more fertile than Tzalan. Aval Shalobit Shashim Chamesh Mios. They both said the other areas in Eretz Yisrael which aren't rocky 
are 500 times more fertile than so on. Incredible. And I will say, by the way, all of this is even when the land is not incredibly blessed. Rashi says, All of it's not even talking about in a good year. In a good year? We'll say in a good year, the bounty is even more. Tanya, I'm Rabbi Yossi, Sa'abi Yehuda. We'll say what Rabbi Yossi said, one Sa'ah, one Sa'ah in Yehuda, planted in Yehuda, would create the following. Haya Osa, Chamesh Sin, Sa'ah Kemach. Chamesh Sin would make five Sa'ah of regular wheat. Sa'ah Kemach, a Sa'ah flower. Sa'ah Solas, a Sa'ah fine flower. Sa'ah Subin, one of course brand. Sa'ah Morsin, the Sa'ah Kibor. We'll say the idea being that in Yehuda, in Yehuda, one, right, five Sin, right, I'm sorry, one sa'ah of Yehuda would produce all of this. And these are all different types of, of grain or flour that are coming out of the same, the same sa'ah of wheat, the five, same five, five sa'ah. So I'll say there was a tzedukim. Remember, who are the tzedukim? They do not believe in Tarsh right? They do not believe in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, um, in the verbal, in the oral tradition, right? They only believe in Torah Shabbat So let's do it. Right? It is, it is very proper that ultimately, again, you praise your land. Because after all, the Stugi said, My father left me one saw of land. From one saw of land. That one saw of land produces oil produces wine, produces grain, produces legumes, and provides grazing area for my, for my, for my livestock. They're both like, so this is the tzeduki. This is the tzeduki. So you both say, you see, to see the greatness of Eretz Yisrael, you don't even have to believe in stuff. Because the greatness of Eretz Yisrael is so evident, is so impossible to deny, that even this tzeduki, even this tzeduki, who was theologically handicapped, theologically impaired, was still able to see the greatness in the land. Incredible. There was this Amora. Right? So I will say, so again, Rashi says over here, Amora in this country, one of the members of the Amorite nation, who said to a Jew, Listen to this. This Amori guy said, listen, you know, I remember that there is a palm tree right on the banks of the Jordan. Tell me how much, how, what, was the, what, was the, what was the output from that tree? Amrale, Kuri. The Jew said, 60 kur of dates I got from that tree. Amrale, akati lo achrivusa. So the Amori guy got very angry. He said, you Jews, you came here and you've already destroyed the land. We used to harvest 120 kur of dates from that tree. The Jew says, Amrle, calm down. I only harvested one half of the tree so far. Right? In other words, I only harvested one half of the tree. I will say the bounty of Eretz Yisrael. What does it mean when I say, I will give you, literally, again, a beautiful land, the portion of the deer? Why is this Eretz Yisrael compared to a deer? So I will say, enough, after you shech the deer, and you flay, you flay the skin, right? You flay the hide. You can't fit the meat back in the hide, which makes sense because the hide contracts after it's after it's after the animal's skin. But the idea is the same the same skin, right? That housed all the once once you, it can no longer contain the meat. Both say it's so beautiful. Eretz Yisrael produces too much bracha for it to store. In other words, that the bounty of Eretz Yisrael does not match the size of Eretz Yisrael. There's more bounty, right? There's more meat than skin. There's more bounty than land. Just like the sea is fast of all the animals. Eretz Yisrael produces fruits, right? Its produce matures faster than anywhere else. Maybe the deer has meat, but the meat is very lean. Maybe the fruits of Eretz Yisrael are also very lean. In other words, not in a good way. They have like the fat, right? They have like the fat of milk and the sweetness of dates. When Belazar came to Eretz Yisrael, he said, I've been saved from one thing. When he got smicha, I've been saved from two things. When they told him the secret of the Ibar, which is the secret of how to create the calendar, ultimately, I've been saved from three things. 
What are we talking about over here? Shinei Amarim goes to Gimar Gover, quotes the Pasuk. From Yechezkel. So we'll say over here, so what, what, um, what Rabbi Lazar was saying was as follows. That the Navi, the Navi over here was talking about the idea about Kalal Yisrael being excluded from certain things. So they will not be in the secret of my nation. Zesot Ibor. This is the secret of the months. They won't come to the land. So Belazah said that ultimately, again, when he came to Eretz Yisrael, he got smicha. He was given the secret of the calendar. He was spared, right? He, he, was, he was spared from these three curses of Yechezkel. Incredible. So Belazah said, listen to this, Gemara. This is incredible. Belazah said, again, I apologize about the speed, but this is incredible. Rabbi Zera, Kevasak Laretz Yisrael, Ashkech Mavra. Belazah said, watch. This. Rabbi, Rabbi Zera, Rabbi Zera is about to enter into Eretz Yisrael. What's the problem? He couldn't find a bridge. Bepashtos, I'm assuming this means he was crossing into Eretz Yisrael from the Jordan River. What is it, right? The Allenby Bridge, right? He was, he was crossing, he was crossing by over the Jordan River. He was crossing over the Jordan River. So what happened, Rabbi saying The bridge was down. The bridge was down. So what does he do? So the Gemara says, Nokit b'mitzvah v'ka'avet. So Rabbi there was rope, there was a rope, that, that, uh, like, a, like a, a rope with a very small plank of wood. See, he pulled himself across the river on this very small plank of wood. So he says, I'm really outstuki. I'm a paziza, you impetuous nation. You are the people who always put your mouth before your ears. You always put your mouth before your ears. Rashi says, Nasevenishma. Nasevenishma, that we said we'll do, we said we'll do even before we heard what Hashem had to tell us what we have to do. By Har Sinai. So this guy was, this guy sees Rabbi Zera pulling himself across the river, right, on a tiny little footbridge, right? He's holding onto a rope, he's about to fall. So he says, You're a fool, what are you doing? Wait, wait for the bridge to be repaired. So the Gemara says, Amrle, so, the, the man, so Rabbi Zera says back to the man, Duchta de Moshe Zachula. To come to the land that Moshe and Aaron were not privileged to go. So ultimately, again, who says if I wait, I'll be privileged to come in? I'll say, I'll tell you, I tell this to my children every single time I'm privileged to go to Eretz Yisrael. As you know, in that first incredible moment, right, where you're coming in Rabbi Tel Aviv, right, and you're by the ocean, you see the shore, and you see the first glimpse of land. So just understand, right now, being in the airspace of Eretz Yisrael, you are zochet to do something that Moshe and Aaron were never able to do. I'll never know as much Torah as Moshe and Aaron. I'll never be on the Ruchni level of Moshe and Aaron. But to be able to set foot in Eretz Yisrael is a schos that Moshe and Aaron themselves, themselves, never had the privilege. Rabbi Zerah says, so the bridge is down. So what? So what? I'm going to let the bridge stop me from getting into my land, from getting home, from getting to the place of Moshe and Aaron. Never Incredible, incredible story. Rabbi Abba, we'll say uh, other examples of the love of our sister. Rabbi Abba, Menashe Kipi Da'ako. Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Abba, well, let's remember again, Akko is one of the borders of Israel. So Rabbi Abba, when he would come into Israel, his first city would be Akko. So Menashe Kipi, he would kiss the rocks. Rabbi Hanina, Metaki Miskir, Rabbi say, Rabbi Hanina, literally, literally, Metaki Miskir means, Rabbi say, if like there was, uh, if, if there was debris on the road or something wrong on the road, Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Hanina would go ahead and fix the roads. Fix the roads. Well, say, I'll tell you contemporarily, this is incredibly important. If you see garbage on, on the ground in Eretz Yisrael, you pick it up. You pick it up. And generally when you see garbage, you should pick it up. Right? But I'm saying if you're out on, on seven mile lane, I don't know that you have to pick up someone else's garbage. Right? But, but Lamais and Eretz Yisrael, and Eretz Yisrael, whatever a Yid could do to beautify the land, so Eretz Yisrael should look beautiful, you have an obligation. He, he would pick up the garbage. He would fix the road. I don't know, Yassi, I don't know, Yassi, what would they do? Kaimi, Misham, Shilatula, Mitula, Shimsha. They both say, this is incredible. This is incredible. <sighs> okay. Okay, good. Good. So both says, listen to this. Rabbi Amin, Rabbi Asi, this is incredible. They would go, literally again, from the sun to the shade and from the shade to the sun. What does this mean? They would often give shear outdoors. So during the summer, during the summer, when it's hot, when the sun got hot, they would move into the shade. And when it was winter, they would move from the shade into the sun. What was the idea? They never wanted their Talmudin to say anything negative about Eretz Yisrael. They both say, isn't this, you see, it just shows you, it just shows you, even about the weather. It's never too hot in Eretz Yisrael, and it's never too cold in Eretz Yisrael. It's exactly as it needs 
to be. So they would move around. Can you imagine? So sitting in shear, big shear, and they're sitting in shear. And when it got too hot, they would purposely move to the shade. No, no one should say it's too hot in Eretz Yisrael. During the winter, no one should ever say it's too cold. Incredible. So I'll just point out, by the way, I'll just point out, if you see how careful these Rabbanim were that never, no one should ever say anything negative about the land, how careful you have to be about saying something negative about another Jew. Because as holy as the land is, a Jew is even holier than Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael is a land, but a Yid, a Jew, right? The land is land, holy land, yes, but nothing's holier than a Jew. So if you have to be careful about Chasrael not coming to say something negative about the land, Allah has come come how careful we have to be about not saying negative things about each other. So the goes like there. This is great. He would roll around in the dirt. The generation that Mashiach comes in. There's going to be incredible Kategar. Rashi says, There's going to be persecution against Tamidi Chachamim. And Rabbi Yisrael says, just Tamidi Chachamim, or even Tamidi Chachamim, there's going to be such persecution, anger and animosity that is directed towards those who embody Torah. Ki Amrisa Kamid Shmuel Amar, Tziruf Achar Tziruf, which literally means forging after forging. In other words, there's going to be an intensity of anti-Semitism. Shnei Amar, the Ad Ba, sorry, the Od Ba, Assyria, Veshava Vahaisa Levar Ke'ela. So we'll say, so the idea of, so Tani, so Tani, Rabbi Yosef, Bezuzi, or Bezuzi de Bezuzi. There's going to be plundering, and then plundering after plundering. We'll say, so the Gemara here describing a dynamic, which the Gemara actually explained earlier as well, that in the Messianic era, or in the generation of the, Mes- not in the Messianic era, in the immediate pre-Messianic era, there's going to be an incredible amount of persecution against Jews. Right? An incredible amount. Bezuzi and our plundering after plundering, difficulty after plundering. And I will say, there'll be an effort to dafka undermine the Tamidi Chachamim. An effort to dafka undermine the authenticity of Torah. So I will say, again, it's just, it's just interesting to see that in general, our, our, our concept is that in the, in, the, in the era immediately preceding dramatic, dramatic redemption, there's going to be dramatic persecution. Halavai, halavai that these days that the Gemara is describing are already behind us, right? We've had enough persecution, enough difficulty. Again, recognizing that 6 million Kedoshim less than a century ago. So it'd be hard to imagine that Klai Yisrael could endure anymore. Halavai, Halavai, this period should be behind us. So remember again, there doesn't necessarily have to be an immediacy the way we understand that there's persecution that immediately Mashiach. In the, in the eyes of HaKadosh Baruch remember again, time is but a human construct. So at the end of the day, it's possible that the persecution could occur and Mashiach comes sometime, quote-unquote, immediately afterwards. Amr Rebchibar Ashi, we'll say, last line of the second, Ksubis. Amr Rebchibar Ashi, 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 even the Ilani struck are non-fruit trees. Non-fruit trees. I don't know what the, I don't know what the technical term for non-fruit trees are. All right, non-fruit trees. Ilani structure are going to go ahead and bring forth produce in Amar. Ki eats nasa perio teina vegeven nasnu chelam. Literally translated because the tree, which means all trees, will bring forth their fruit. The fig, the vine, ultimately will give forth their wealth. And I will say, I find that something very interesting. Tosa springs down here with something fascinating. Tosa says, Asidin kali lani strak shavarit Yisrael, shetino peros, lefish shiretzel sign. I will say, what is Tosa bothered by? What, why is this statement here? In other words, this seems to be totally out of place. We were talking about, I will say this belongs earlier, right? We were talking about, again, the bounty of Eretz Yisrael. Now, this is a big one, by the way. The idea that even non-fruit trees are going to produce fruit is something absolutely dramatic. Put it over here. Or put it on Amidalit. Or Kufiralit on the base. That's where it belongs. Why ultimately, again, is this here? Tosa says something amazing. The Gemara doesn't want to end off the Masechta with the discussion about persecution of the pre-Messianic era. That's not how we want to end off the Masechta. Therefore, See, even though, again, this line really goes ahead and belongs earlier, 
At the end of the day, the Gemara wants to end off at a positive note, doesn't want to end off with persecution, so ends off with this beautiful picture. Then in the Messianic era, even the barren trees, even the non-fruit trees, ultimately will produce fruits. Rebbe say the Belzer Rebbe says something absolutely amazing. This is beautiful, this is beautiful, but obviously, again, Chazal could have ended off with anything positive. What does this mean? So listen to what the Rebbe says. What does it mean? Even the barren trees will produce fruit. The Rebbe says, that even, I will say, sometimes, you know who's a barren tree? Is a person without mitzvahs. Right? Adam is compa- a person is compared to a tree. So hopefully, again, a person is a fruit tree. and producing fruit of Torah, of mitzvahs, of chasadim. But sometimes, sometimes, I'm an Elon Srak. Sometimes I am a barren tree. I produce absolutely nothing. I accomplish absolutely nothing. Or the fruits that I do produce, they're withered. They're withered. There's, there's nothing to look at. So what does the Gemara promise us? Even the barren trees, Shabbat and Am Yisrael, Yit Anu Peros, ultimately again, have the ability to produce fruit. The Gemara says, the message over here is not simply about the Messianic era. Right? Rabbi say, what does Asidin mean? See, in the future. They will say, so we often translate Asidin as what? A reference to the Messianic era. The Bells Rebbe says, what does Asidin mean? What does Asidin mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? How do you define Asidin? Chavra. Asidin. How do you translate it? In the future. When's the future? When's the future? The future is now. The future is now. Asidin Kalei Yisrael. Even the most barren tree in Yisrael. Has the ability to produce fruit. Sometimes we look at ourselves and we look like barren trees. Sometimes we look at ourselves and we're so disappointed about the lack of accomplishment. Sometimes we look at ourselves and I'm so upset that I'm just one month into the new year and I'm already repeating the same exact mistakes of the past. I divested myself of my fruit. Says the Gemara, don't worry. Even if you're an Elon Srah, even if you are a fruitless tree, a seedin, you could change your future. And in your future, you have the ability to bear the most magnificent, beautiful, and holy of fruit. I will say, what a way to end the Masechta. What a message of incredible chizik. I will say, Mazel Tov on this overwhelming, beautiful, magnificent accomplishment. And by the way, what a schos to finish a Masechta on Rosh Chodesh Cheshvan. What an incredible schos, Baruch Hashem, to close out one month and begin the new month with a brand new Masechta. We'll say, such a Ischachos. Ha'chodesh ha'zelochem rosh chadashim. We'll say, I'll just say that we're going to start davening. Ha'chodesh ha'zelochem rosh chadashim. The Baal Shem Tov says that this month, what does it mean? Every single Rosh Chodesh brings with it a Ischachos, or renewal. A new beginning. Every Rosh Chodesh is its own Rosh Hashanah. Every Rosh Chodesh is its own new beginning. And I will say, what a way to go into a new Masechta with a sense of recommitting ourselves. I would urge you. I'm not urging you. I beg you. Make time, especially. I'm not asking you the Chazer, the first couple of Prakim of Ksuvis. Okay. But the Agarita, the Agarita, which we flew through, bend down. Everyone has time. Everyone has time to add in an extra 10 minutes of your day just to Chazer over these beautiful Gemara, so much of which we only skim the surface, reap the messages, go ahead and extract the beautiful wine from the grapes of Torah. And we'll see if such as Tomorrow we start Nidarim. Nidarim is not an easy Nisachta. It's a beautiful Masechta. It's a beautiful Masechta. It's a fantastic Masechta. It's not going to be easy. It's tempting to check out during the challenging Masechtas. And sometimes, you know, we check out in a passive-aggressive way. I come late. I leave early. I decide, I'm here. I'm here. But like, whatever. I'll say, again, don't become an Elon Srak over the course of Nedarim. Be in. Be all in. This is our relationship to Torah. This is our relationship to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Rebosai Eschus to finish this Masechta with you. Can't wait to hear Hashem till tomorrow. Mazel Tov.